Hey, this is Rebecca. And I'm Amy, and we are back. But before we get into the episode, we need to do a little housekeeping. Well, actually, it's pretty big housekeeping. After more than two years with KPCC and American Public Media, we are moving on. This will be our last episode with them, and it's been an amazing run. We're so thankful to KPCC and APM for helping us get the podcast going and out into the world, featuring the best and brightest voices in Mashup America. It helped us with our very important goal, finding you. You guys are the reason we are here. And hearing from you about how the Mashup Americans makes you feel inspired and validated and challenged is honestly why we get up in the morning. So what you need to know is we are not going anywhere. We are cooking up some great new episodes, more to come soon. And if you're already subscribed, literally nothing changes. Just make sure to stick around. And for you newbies, you can subscribe to us at applepodcast.com slash mashup. You don't want to miss a thing, I swear. Then you can always find us on mashupamericans.com with tons of articles and interviews about Mashup Life. And you can subscribe to our newsletter, which you'll get in your inbox every week. Mashupamericans.com slash newsletter. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lair. And I'm Amy Choi. And this is the Mashup Americans. We are thrilled to be bringing you Dear Mashup America Summer Travel Edition. Because we think about travel... How much, Amy? Well, there's the fact that yesterday I just bought a ticket to L.A. because I live in New York and you live in L.A. and we work together all the time. That's that's one thing. That's also something. (laughs) And that we're both kids of immigrants and our grandparents lived in countries other than the U.S. When did you get your first passport? I think mine was within the first couple months of my life. Yeah, I definitely had one before I was two because I had my second birthday in Korea. There you go. Like, my driver's license is definitely expired right now, and my passport will never expire. No. That's just not a thing that I would ever allow to happen in my life. It's always current. You never know when you're going to have to escape. No, but actually, <laughs> I it almost um, led to a separation, let's just put it mildly, with my <laughs> husband when we were about to travel, and it turns out his passport was expired. I was like, that has never happened. What? Why? How? What? <laughs> Go expedite. Um, So I think there's only a handful of people in the world who think about and do as much mashy travel as we have. And we're lucky enough to know the queen of mashy travel and have her here, the incomparable Aminatuso. Tuso. You might know her from the beloved podcast Call Your Girlfriend. And she's also the brain behind On She Goes, the travel site for women of color. We're thrilled that she could come and share with us her vast wisdom about travel. I mean, she took her first international trip before she was six weeks old. And I can relate to that because my daughter's first trip was at seven weeks old to visit my grandmother in El Salvador and to go to my cousin's wedding in Guatemala because not going would be an unacceptable answer. Yes, that's exactly what we mean by Mashu Travel. It is um, both amazing and not a choice. That's exactly right. (laughs) Our lives are all around the world. And so today we're talking about all of it. Going, quote, home to visit family, what to wear and not to wear in a new place, and how to be and feel authentically yourself wherever you are in the world. We'll be asking Aminata for her top five items in her carry-on and then get to the meat of it all. Her answers to three soulful questions sent in by you, our listeners. But first, we asked Aminatu to help us break it down. Why is travel such a big deal for Mashup Americans? So stay with us.
Amina, we are so glad you're here with us for this special episode of the Mashup Americans. You know, you were one of our very first guests back when we were starting this, I think it was 2016. Oh my God. It was so long ago. 1979, (laughs) I was here. And she is back to help us sort through your questions on travel. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me, y'all. Ugh, you're the best. Because you are our most expert friend. Um, It always feels like... In a good way, both bossy and open, you have very strong opinions. You have a lot of strong opinions and a lot of good tips. So let's get right to why this topic is so rich for mashups. I mean, people in American culture tend to think about travel as as a luxury or just like as a vacation. It's a necessity for some of us. Yeah, exactly. That for mashups, it's actually like one of the biggest factors in our lives. Like we can build our our years or like our schedules around Mm -hmm. travel and how we see our families and how we keep our roots extended throughout the rest of the world. It's really like how we keep our communities alive. Can you, Aminatu, give some of our listeners a little bit of a primer on how you became a person for whom, as you say, home is where the Wi-Fi connects automatically? (laughs) Um, My family is from uh, Guinea in West Africa. I guess I'm from Guinea, too. But when um, by the time I was born, my parents lived in Nigeria. My mom went home to have me. And I think like 10 days later, I was on a plane. That was my first flight. So... I have a passport from a country that is, like, it's where I'm from, but it's not home. And uh, my father was a diplomat, so we grew up, like, bopping around. And also, a lot of our family, because of political strife, like, where we were from, are, like, political refugees, or they left, or we, our family is globally distributed. And I definitely did not grow up wealthy at all. (laughs) Um, Quite the opposite of that. But travel was something that was really important to my parents in the sense that, like, that's how we reconnected with our family. So, like, going home every couple of years, like, to Guinea was really important. And I knew how expensive that was for my parents. They had three kids. You know, like, we all had to go. Um, We also did a lot of, like, cousin swaps when I was growing up. Like, the way that you would go on vacation. Because, like, they couldn't afford camp or, like... You know, I don't know, like sending us to some fancy thing. It's like, go live, go stay with your auntie here and here. And so like all of the cousins and the siblings would exchange kids. So I like my entire childhood, like I remember being an unaccompanied minor on a plane. Like that was me. <laughs> I was like, you wear this little tag that says UM and you get like all these fun little coloring books or whatever. Like when travel was glamorous in the 80s and 90s, <laughs> I must say, I remember being 11 and going to Kenya on my own. And just, like, navigating the thing. But it wasn't weird. There were other unaccompanied minors on the plane. You know, like, I'm like, oh, children of divorce. And children children of, like, my parents were just like, go away. We don't want you here. Well, Um, there was, like, 500 people smoking cigarettes. Exactly. Everybody was smoking cigarettes everywhere. You know, like, I'm not afraid of talking to customs officers. But it was funny when I went to college and I would always, like, at that point my family was living in Europe. So I would take some friends home every summer. Or whatever. And I would just, I'm like, wait, you had to get a passport for this trip? You had to, you know, I'm like, by the time I was 18, I'd probably had like 10 passports. Right. Totally. And, you know, or watching them like not know what to do or customs or like not. And I was like, wow, like this is, I did not realize that that was a privilege because I grew up poor. And then watching Americans who I assume to be, I'm like, you guys are rich by every standard. But then I also started learning about you know, I'm like, oh, like, how come my black friends travel less? And I'm like, oh, Jim Crow. Like, the, you know, where there's like, there are policy reasons. 
and mm. economic reasons for why like minorities in America travel less and like places where they would feel safe or even take advantage of free things like the National Park Service. Mm-hmm. So we just go and it was it was very humbling and like interesting to learn about. Well, so it's really interesting what you're saying about borders and kind of traveling domestically. Like, I traveled more internationally than I ever did domestically. I think that's probably Same. still true as as a grown person. And I think like growing up in the U.S. as a woman of color and as children of immigrants, I've just kind of like always been uncomfortable, and like I've always always been a foreigner. Yeah. And then when I go places, I'm also that. But the thrill that comes with landing in an airport. And like being uncomfortable and then being able to navigate and be like, well, here's customs. Like this is how I feed myself or get around in the world. That that's actually where I'm the most at home is in that like those pieces of transit. Where I grew up, everybody looks like me. Like even our like shitty dictator president looks like me. Like (laughs) everybody in power looks like me. Everybody less power than me looks like me. So I never had an anxiety about this. And even though like even when we lived in Europe, it's like I could see it, but it didn't bother me. Not to say that like Europeans, you know, like there's less prejudice there than here. Everything just looks different. Over there, I'm like, it's just more refreshing. People are more direct about it. <laughs> They're you like, whereas get out of here. Yeah, whereas here you're like low-key paranoid. You're like, what? Like, what's going on? Like, am I being gaslit? The thing about, I, like, I think about being somewhere else for me that is comforting is that, like, I hear many other languages. I see many other people both, like, struggling and thriving. And, it like, it just feels fairer somehow. You know, mm. yeah, I, I don't know how to explain that quite because like customs officers in every country are terrible. It is not yeah. pleasant. There's not one country in the world where that is pleasant. Right. It's kind of a, a hard job. Right. Also, that is something I, 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 I feel so much in those moments of empathy where you're sitting in a, in your own home airport, say, and you get home from an international trip where you've been out of your element, as mm-hmm. Amy was describing, which for us, we kind of thrive on and, and are kind of em- empowered by. But also, like, somebody arrives and there's somebody screaming at them in English, like, that will yep. make it better. And I'm like, yep. they just came off an Air China flight. Like, you couldn't find one person here who could speak Mandarin. Drives it's me not going to help if you're screaming. Up yeah, it's the like wall. the only way to be in America is to speak English, which is ludicrous. And you'll go, like, anywhere in, like, random European places. Everybody speaks English. Mm-hmm. Everybody speaks English. And they, like, my siblings speak, like, four or five languages because they've lived in Europe longer than I have. And all of this stuff, and I'm always so impressed because they're like, you need to be able to communicate with a lot of people. This is just how it yeah. works. My grandmother, like, my grandmother in Guinea never went to school a day in her life. Like, she speaks three or four languages. Like, same thing. Like, right. you just need to know how to talk to people. How many countries have you bribed your way into through customs? I'm very anti-bribe, mm. actually. <laughs> this is like a very near and dear to my heart because I grew up in West Africa where, like, bribing is just a way of life. Like, at the airport in Conakry, like, they will just look at you and be like, what did you bring for me? Like, there's a whole language around it. (laughs) Nobody will ever ask you for money. But there is this, like, intricate dance that happens that's like, your luggage is not showing up. And you know that the only way to get it is to do that. So that was always a point of frustration for me. And I've always been a fan of uh, Law and Order, both the TV (laughs) show and the concept. So I will tell you that it frustrates a lot of people in my family that I, like, from a very young age was like, I refuse to participate in this corrupt system. And uh, I will say that more than anything, I have sat in, like, some sort of airport detention system for Mm -hmm. longer than I should have because I refuse to pay a bribe. The first time I went to Mexico... An agent tried to, like, get a bribe from me, and I was like, oh, hell no. I did not leave Africa to pay a white man a bribe. (laughs) Are you kidding me? No way. 
but I have also paid bribes. So I'm not saying that I'm like some holier than thou person, but I make a big stink of it. We weren't going to have Aminatu here and miss out on a chance to get a solid list of recommendations. She's my go-to person for all lists, like what do I need to do for an apocalypse, or what are the next five TV shows I should watch, or what book should I read to be a smart person? So just everything. (laughs) Everything. So before we get to the questions sent in by our listeners, we want to ask you, Amina, what are the top five items in your carry-on? Woo, Okay. I will say this. I think that if you are a mashup, you already travel better than most people. You just need to tap Amen. into that. You just need to call upon the ancestral power <laughs> that you have. So one is the carry-on. You need to get like a good carry-on. I'm not one of those people that like they look out at the airport and they're like, can this bag go? Even though that's a very African problem. But, you know, I learned from my mother. My entire childhood is my mother and I across various world airports, specifically European ones, having to pack and unpack luggage. Like, that's my most enduring memory. Mine is doing that, and then everything inside the luggage is also in 14 Ziplocs. Oh, 100%. So I'm going to get to that. So my next thing is that, like, I live and die by packing cubes. Oh, yeah. Everything everything has a home. I have, like, a toiletry bag that lives in the carry-on. Like, I don't believe in, like, raiding your your house for, like, packing toiletries. You just need to have a travel kit that goes, and it's doubles of all the stuff that I use. And they're all in the appropriate um, size bottles. Even though I believe that the TSA three-ounce rule is racist against black women because three ounces of conditioner goes nowhere in my hair. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's a different mm-hmm. problem. I ship a lot of stuff to myself. If I have, like, to carry liquids, I'll just ship them because I travel for work and I'm like, somebody else will pay for this, not me. So that's that. I have a universal charger that I love, and I now carry a travel steamer. (laughs) You carry a travel steamer? I carry a travel steamer. It's a little excessive. I wear a uniform on the road, and it's like, I know the exact dress I want. Fabrics that travel well are, like, linen, but, you know... It gets all this wrinkled. is where you're blowing Rebecca's mind because she doesn't own an iron. Okay. What kind it's of immigrant are you? Are you kidding me? We, in my house on Tuesdays, you should have seen the piles of ironing. We iron our underwear. We iron sheets. We oh, iron an iron sheet is everything. the best. I would say I'm a Southern Californian version, Ooh. which is meaning like lots of fabrics that do not need to be ironed. Everything can be ironed. Okay, that's everything. (laughs) Like in my family, we iron jeans. You know what I'm saying? Like we iron everything. But anyway, okay, steamer. I cheated and said that the carry on is one of the five bags within bags. The bags within bags, a toiletry bag that is already pre packed. And then my last thing is that I bring a water bottle because buying plastic water drives me up the wall. You can't do that in every country, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. where you can just, like, drink the tap water. But in anywhere that you go that you can drink the tap water, I'm like, bring your Nalgene or whatever brand you like. Because, you know, TSA TSA forces you to buy water on the other side. And it's I'm like, this is a scam. Big water is in on security theater. I know. I I bet we could figure out where TSA has some kind of investment in, like, Dasani. So it's time for our listener questions. We've pulled three questions from the many we've heard over the years on social and through your notes to yo at mashupamericans.com. We are not going easy on you, Amina. Tell me. Okay, so the first one that came in, like, I felt it. I felt it in my heart. I felt it in the pit of my stomach. So 
listeners, first generation Korean. Um, when I visit family in Korea, mm-hmm. I'm always embarrassed because my Korean is terrible and I can't really communicate very well. My family is nice about it, but I just feel terrible. How do you deal with your guilt when you go back, quote, home, and you can't communicate with your family? How can I make the next trip guilt-free? Man, that's that's a really deep question, actually. That really took me aback. Um, I, yeah, that, that stuff is real. I am really lucky in that, like, in I have three siblings, and my parents always spoke French to us. But to each other, they always speak Fulani, which is our tribal language. You know, it's like some people are good at math, some people are good at languages. I speak Fulani. I'm just, I was that way. I wanted to learn. My sister is like problematically shy about speaking Fulani. And by the time my brother rolled around, like my parents were not rigorous about like, should he learn or whatever. But they they never made us feel like ashamed about it. That That's just how it like panned out. And so whenever I go home, actually, people are always surprised that I speak because they're just like, oh, like you were raised overseas or whatever. And I'm like, please, you know, but I think that like also culturally it is built into a lot of immigrant cultures to make fun of like kids who don't speak their language. And for many reasons, I understand why parents, it's not always a priority. But when it comes to language and being somewhere else, all you have to do is try. It's like if mm-hmm. you try, mm-hmm. it opens up this world of possibility that it like like kindness and grace fill that gap now for you. I noticed that where like my like my grandmothers, both of them would like they learned French so that they could talk to us. Mm. You know, like that was and you know, it's like their French was broken the same way that my siblings Fulani was broken. Word sauce. We made it work there. It's a place where I think a lot of immigrant kids like they have mm. guilt about it. But I think that you need to have grace for yourself and you need to just I can't swear on this, but you need to just effing get over it because think about like when your parents came here or like your grandparents and how they struggled with like English maybe Mm -hmm. and that stuff and they just got over it it's like you have to get over it but if you feel guilty about it you have an obligation to learn I'm like I watch k-dramas all the time and now I'm saying Korean words (laughs) Um, I love it when I recognize them but you should learn. And You're like, that means love. Exactly. Ugh. Always. I'm like, oh, and I love how they always pulling. Listen, if Lupita can speak Korean I and know. Black Panther, we you can all I mean? learn a little I'm Korean. Like, just learn. It's like kind of get over yourself. Like your parents got over themselves. And in a time that like people shame them probably so much for how they were expressing themselves. Mm. I like I love that about a lot, especially a lot of my like Asian friends, parents, I noticed this will have very strong accents compared to some of my African friends. And sometimes like their kids will make fun of them. And it always irritates me. I'm always on the side of the parents. I'm like, no, if you can speak in a way that somebody understands you, it actually does not matter like right. what totally. your accent is or whatever. And I think that 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 thing, go, it cuts both ways. So, like, stop feeling self-conscious. You can still learn, and you have to be proactive about it. I love that idea of sort of embracing it. I also feel like mashups, they always are going to tease you. There's, like, a lot of teasing that happens. But then there's the part where they they are impressed that you are trying. And I feel that whenever I travel anywhere. But I, I agree, you know, get yourself an app. Duolingo, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you know how people the stereotype is that like French people are rude for example like there's some truth and not truth to that but like I always give this advice to my American friends when they're like scared of French people I'm like just learn two phrases in French and if you try all of the tension lifts up phrases that you should know are always like good morning you should always say like whatever the daytime greeting is 
mm-hmm. will change the day for anybody. Like whether you are in a taxi or you go into a bakery or whatever, saying hello to someone is like it's great. Knowing some just proper etiquette is good. And all, and I guarantee you, like, all people want you is to try. Yeah. If you try, it makes them feel like like empathy is just automatically built in there. Yeah. For me, I've always been high focused on learning, like, what is the major faux pas? Yeah. And to try that's, and avoid, like, that's the great. single major faux pas, whether it's, like, mm-hmm. showing your feet or not showing your feet. Taking yep. off your shoes or not taking eating off your shoes. Eating the food, like, not eating the food. Exactly. Getting like, a cappuccino after 11. <laughs> I know, but, you know, but that's, don't also, do it. but that's also a place where, honestly, like, vulnerability is really good. Where, I don't know, even if you're staying, like, at a hotel and you don't know anybody in town, you can just show up at the concierge and be like, hey, what advice would you have for me? I've never been here before, and I just don't want to offend anybody. You can ask your cab driver that. You yeah. can ask... Um, I don't know, like the maid at the hotel that it's a way to make yourself human and to make yourself accessible to people. And there's so much forgiveness if people know that you like you're coming from that place. And I would say that more than Western culture, other cultures are actually like like that's not a confrontational kind of conversation to have and that people are so happy to tell you how life is where they live. And so you got to give a little bit and you will get a lot back. I love that. Last part of this, and then I move on to the next question, which is, how do you say good morning in Fulani? Kohonuai. Kohonuai. Mm-hmm. Or you can say jam, which just means peace. Jam. Because it's like Muslim culture. And there's so many ways to say hello to somebody. And like Fulani people, I always joke, I'm like, we love cultural appropriation. Like nothing <laughs> makes us happier. I'm like, a lot of people don't like it, but I'm like, wow, West African people steal our culture. We are the happiest humans in the world because we're like, oh, we are important enough that you're acknowledging that like our stuff is good enough for you. Wait, that is the perfect segue to our next question, Amina. Tell me. This is what we like to call what not to wear. So okay. it's from a Taiwanese American listener. She writes, Friends from college are getting married in Mumbai this winter, and my bestie and I are taking the opportunity to travel through India a bit before the wedding. My friend is a pretty seasoned traveler, and she wants us to travel light, just bring a few essentials, and then get a few simple outfits made for us there, including saris for the wedding. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid we'll look disrespectful like we're playing dress up. She says it's the opposite, a way of showing you care. Who's right, me or my bestie? Or in other words, when is dressing like the locals a sign of respect and when is it cultural appropriation um you know this question actually is really interesting because it depends like there's so many factors that depend here i will say that generally to this specific scenario i cannot speak for indian people but in my experience indian people love it when you wear a sari and you're not indian that is my experience as well i'm like i've been to a couple weddings (laughs) like i'm like it's cool um and you know and i also think that it kind of depends on the occasion like i love it when my like friends from around the world will have like a wedding that reflects their culture and they make everybody wear something from their country or their national dress like i love that a lot i will say that like in west africa You can, like, you should dress like the locals. Like, the kids that I went to high school with, a lot of them would wear um, Nigerian clothing all the time. And there was nothing about it that felt out of place because they grew up in Nigeria, too. You know, I'm just like, there's nothing about it that looks costumey. It was like, yeah, I'm like, this is what we wear sometimes. Like, sometimes 
you know, but I will not lie that sometimes I'll be walking around Fort Greene and I'll see like a returning Peace Corps volunteer. <laughs> I'm just like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is not like a Marka and Kigali, but thank you. But sometimes like when I talk to my friends who are more Americanized than I am, so like, let's say like first generation kids who b- grew up here or whatever, they feel really upset about it. And they will be like, this is not appropriate for many reasons. And usually I'll tell them, I'm like, pump your brakes and think about where that comes from. Because when I see like a white person wearing my national dress, I do get really happy. It is not a costume, you know? And I think that like, it's when you think that it's a costume that it irritates you that somebody else is wearing your costume. Yes, But I'm like, no, they're literally just wearing pants and a shirt. I think it's appropriate to be concerned about appropriation as an American. It's like worth examining that in yourself. And then Mm -hmm. there's also... You know, you can be traveling and you're like, this is something that I've never seen at home or would have worn at home or et cetera, et cetera. But it also like works. I was in Tunisia for like five weeks and we were in the desert for a long, long time. I didn't have the proper head coverings and like the sun was everywhere. And we went to this Berber market Uh and like a guy selling scarves was like, you should get this kind of scarf. This is what Berbers wear. He's like, women could hide it this way. Men, there's like these three ways of tying it. It Yeah. Yeah. And like, you can use it for the sand when like the wind comes in. And like, we were in the desert for close to a month and it was like, oh, I'm going to wear this Berber headscarf. And I was like, is that weird? It's like the best possible tool. It was like a piece of technology. I love that you said that because that's the thing that I always think about is I'm like, why is a Western dress just gets to be dress? But like anybody's outfits like gets treated like costumes or like it's something different. And also when you think about appropriation, I'm like, you have to think about like who is being harmed, you know, like is it appropriation for somebody to wear a shawar kameez? Who's being harmed here? Who's being harmed? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, where does capitalism get its claws in here? I'm like, no, literally, you're just wearing an outfit that is appropriate for this climate. Right. I hear that. I like I really, really hear that. That to me is different from like somebody making like a Oaxacan taco truck and then like saying that they know all the recipes and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's a different conversation. So I think that having an open conversation about Israel, if you're going on a wedding, like, duh, like wear the thing. And I think that also... Especially if you're traveling in like more developing countries where there's not a tourism infrastructure, wearing national dress, actually, if you are not from that culture, will make people feel like you know somebody from that culture. And Mm. so I feel like it solves a lot of problems because if you like showed up in, I don't know, your like Gucci slippers and your whatever in the middle of nowhere, like Guinea, where I'm from, people just assume that you're very rich. And then now you become a target for like all sorts of other stuff. But whereas, mm-hmm. like, if you look like everyone, there's no way to, like, assign class or status or whatever to you. There's actually a safety in that, especially for women, that I have found to be, like, very comforting. Right. They know that I know someone here. Um, all right. Last but not least, final question from our listeners. Final Jeopardy. This is a big one, as if all these other ones haven't been big ones. But it basically gets down to the who are we? Our listener asks, As a person of color, when I'm traveling abroad, people rarely guess that I'm American. I always feel awkward about it because, honestly, at home, people assume I'm not necessarily American. How do you deal in those situations? It feels weird and maddening to defend myself in either one of those scenarios. That's another one that is hitting me like a tidal wave. It's it's hard. It's hard. But again, I would go back to context, right? Because this person literally says that they feel different in different contexts. And it's interesting for me because one of the frustrations that I'm going through right now is that um, I I had an 
Uber driver, I think, the other day that was from Guinea. And I heard his music and then I saw his, like, the sticker on his car and I was like, where are you from? What do you do? And we started speaking Fulani and he was like, you're from Guinea? He, like, would not believe it. And that cut me so deep. Mm. It was so hard for me because it's, it is an insecurity that I have. I'm like, I move through the world and, like, people don't know. Like, yes, I have an African-sounding name. But, yeah, people do not experience me as an African person and that actually is my primary identity. Like, that's what I think of in my, about myself. I don't know. I would say to this person... Again, it, it sucks. It's like you have to do the work. But that feeling of awkwardness, you are the one that feels awkward. The other person doesn't feel awkward about you. They don't feel awkward about asking you. So I think that you really have to do internal work that says, like, why, why is this question so ground shifting for me? People all over the world will ask very insensitive things. And sometimes I actually like it. I'm like, wow, people everywhere else are not PC. Like African people will ask you wild things. And I'm like, <laughs> if you were white, we would call you racist. But you don't have the power, so we can't. <laughs> As a Jew traveling in the world, it is unreal. Yeah, the I can't even imagine people. that. You know, I'm oh just like, well, yeah, goodness. sometimes I'm just like, well, and uh, yeah, and people are wild and sensitive in every language, in every country. It's not better somewhere or somewhere else. It's just that you're more used to a context for that. But I think that like the thing about being mashups in general is that you have to realize that you need to pull from your own strength and from your own past and be a person that is grounded. Because mm -hmm. I think that at the end of the day, the insecurity that we feel about everything is this like lack of groundedness. Mm. Because that question of like, where are you from can really send you for a tailspin, <laughs> you know, and and that's whether you're like first generation or you are just like, you know, like a third culture kid like me or that, that question is really hard to answer. But also, I, you know, I would submit to people, like, why does it matter? And what does it mean? And, you know, like, that's why my joke about, like, the Wi-Fi is right. so real. Because I'm like, I'm like, home is people. In general, like, we need to be more confident and we need to decide for ourselves, like, what home is and who we are and what our values are because that's not something that's external. We see each other through time and space and all these things, but at the same time, like, you get to decide who you are. I feel like that could be um, an answer to what the Mash of Americans is here for and what we're doing, is that this idea of just owning who you are in all of its complexities, because we have a just like a unique ability to navigate so many cultures and to really um, be empathic and understand so many perspectives that that actually, if you own that, it's kind of awesome. We don't make the space to have these conversations and then we always think that we're weird, that nobody thinks like us. And like fortunately now it's like we have podcasts, there are blogs and there's the internet and we can kind of find each other. You know, I'm just like therapy helps. And really just taking responsibility for your own life helps. Like, this is where I'm at. I'm like, I'm Aminatou Sir. This is the time in history I live in, and I'm doing my damn best. Yeah. I mean, that's so beautiful. I, I thank you. Thank you, Infinity, for this today. Um, we were so excited to talk to you. And now I feel like I actually need to plan a trip imminently. I know. Yes. I, listen, this is what yes. I would say to, like, mashups, and mostly it's, like, to the American friends of mashups. Just go somewhere. You don't have to go to the ends of the earth. It does not have to cost you a million dollars. Go somewhere. Go to the next state over. Go to the next state park over. Go to the next town over. Just go. That, if you can get over that inertia, you will go very far. But you just Completely. need to go. Amen. Amen. You got it. 
Okay, so let's try to wrap things up a little here. What are our takeaways, Amy? Well, I think first and foremost, travel is essential. It's how we see our friends and family, how we find spaces to be challenged and feel out of our element, which for us is really in our element. And it's how we learn, which is something we can all do more of. Yes, a thousand percent. It's kind of the only way I know how to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So here's another one. Try and speak the language. Get a language app. It's amazing. Technology is amazing. Remember when you had to just like open a guide or just hope somebody told you? Now you can have an app. Uh, Duolingo, (laughs) Google Translate. Learn enough to say please, thank you, where's the bathroom, and I need help. The accent may give you away, but it doesn't matter. Just try it. People will appreciate that. Yeah. To Amina's point, if you can be understood, you can speak the language, which is so great. And if you can speak the language even a little bit, then you can ask questions. And you know how we feel about asking questions. It's the most important thing that anybody can do in the world. Like, what are the norms? What's the deal with tipping? Like, what should I see? What what should I absolutely never do in the company of other people? Ask anyone. Okay. Another thing to remember, you can be respectful and participate in culture. Wear the sari to your friend's wedding or or put on a yarmulke. Go ahead and and wear the Berber wrap to protect your head in the desert. But again, ask questions. What is the way to wear this? And where do I wear it? Travel can just be, I mean, it's a great way to get to know other cultures and it's the best way we think to get to know yourself, right? And you are beautifully yourself. You are as American as anyone. You are as much a part of your family's home culture or motherland is anyone and you are the best person we can all hope for to rep the fullness of being American while abroad. Your answer to the where are you from question is always the right one. Just be confident in that. Mm-hmm. And that's a wrap. A million thanks to Aminatu for being here with us for this very special episode of Dear Mashup America. Ah, Mash of America. Our senior producer is Lizzie Jacobs with production from Whitney Henry Lester, and our music is by Allot Moment and DJ Rob Swift. Big thanks to Nate Toby for believing in us and knowing that mashups are the future, and thanks also to Brandon Santos and the rest of the APM and KPCC teams. I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. The Mashup Americans have been a production of KPCC Southern California Public Radio, American Public Media, and the Mashup Americans Creative Studio. And don't go anywhere, because we aren't. Subscribe at applepodcast.com slash mashup or wherever you listen most, and we'll be back in your ears with new stories, new idea, and new conversations soon. Follow us on social at Mashup American and keep supporting each other and remembering you are what makes America great. Keep being your whole amazing self. Do it. Talk to you soon. Besos. Bye. <laughs>